Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Wherever you are, welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the her in water. Water. Get it? <laughs> water. Get it? <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> my name is Summer Yeager. And I'm here with my beautiful co-host Joy and baby Jojo. Mm-hmm. Joy is currently wearing her baby in a wrap and it <laughs> looks like Georgia is actively trying to speak into... <laughs> The yes. microphone. Like, mm-hmm. she's angled towards it. Like, her face is, like, popped out of the wrap. She wants to talk she into it. She wants to talk it into the microphone. Or eat it. Or want <laughs> Or bang her head on it. <laughs> Do you want to say something? Jojo, tell us something. Hello? I can't. She's like, I'm still a baby and I don't know what a <laughs> microphone is. But she knows that you talk into it. I know. She's like actively trying to put her mouth on it. Yep. It's really cute. I can't handle it. That's the thing you guys should know about Joy. This is <laughs> this is our recording now. It's not like it was two years ago. Well, and honestly, because she's so little, it's not even like it was the last time you were out here. Because <laughs> up until this point, right. she's been very like eat pass out so i just time it to where when right. we do episodes she will be right. sleeping or eating right but it's now it's really like that. Right. not like that um like she just right now she's being quiet but a second ago she was so talkative. talking her little heart out so talkative so cute i like having her here she is she's really our third co-host yeah, and well now fun. there's gonna be a, there's a fourth there's a fourth there's four people Hanging in this out. room right now yep one of them is the size of like a gummy bear or something. <laughs> My app gives me like options of like what fruit candy, what kind of comparisons, and I chose eighties and nineties nostalgia. Oh, so because okay. I was like, what kind of candy are they gonna pick for eight months? Right, it changes. <laughs> like one of them was like one of the earlier weeks was like your baby is now the same size as the fly that Mister Miyagi caught in his chopsticks. <laughs> Um, what app is this? Maybe you shouldn't. What? They should give us money. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the What to Expect app. And like some of the other options oh, okay. are really interesting. 80s, 90s nostalgia, obviously fruits, movie and TV props. So like this week, my baby is the size as a pearl from Audrey Hepburn's necklace type oh, thing. Okay. So yeah, there's different options. Whatever. I thought 80s and 90s nostalgia was fun. <laughs> <laughs> they also include a hacky sack, the bubble gum, week 14, bubble tape bubble gum, <laughs> week 16, poly pocket necklace, week 17, pop tarts. <laughs> My baby's as big as a pop tart. As big as a pop tart. So these are kind of fun. Whatever. Oh, a Mr. Potato Head is week 29. Anyway, I would always make. I'm going to um, stop reading these to you guys. That's not what you came I for. would always make. <laughs> well, it became. <laughs> that is kind of what you came for. It became like a. Uh, a weekly joke I'd be like 
<laughs> we're gonna stand up and bounce a little bit yeah there we go um <laughs> it became a weekly joke where i'd be like babe guess what how big georgia is now yeah and he'd be like i don't know um squash <laughs> uh-huh and i'd be like rainbow chard <laughs> you're like how was i what ever gonna yeah. guess that and if you asked me to draw a rainbow <laughs> chard i would not have anything to say i mean i could draw one but i mean i'm you could but like the average person you were not the average person <laughs> well he was just like i don't or like there's different they like branch off into like different uh like species of right of squash and you're like right. really that one Acorn squash versus <laughs> butternut. Okay. Yeah. I was really going to guess that. Well, that's that's what we're doing. That's me. I'm Summer Yeager. I told you about Joy. I don't know. Do um, yeah, you're right. I am Joy. And I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer, who hmm. has, who used to, you know, um, who used to have two two little girls that are now growing up i mean obviously you have three daughters but oh man i just can't katie's always been the big. oldest yeah she's big but when i saw clementine in those vans oh, i was I just know. like wow i feel like i'm looking at summer it's just crazy it's crazy when they i don't know i am totally getting to that age now where i like i get why old people are always talking about how fast life goes. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm starting to really understand that. She's powering down, by the way. Yeah, That's I figured. Really cute. Um, I yeah. read this thing about how like your life goes faster because Yes, we saw the same thing. It's a percentage. It's a percentage. Yeah. Yes, because when you're four, two years is half of your life. Right. But then when you're thirty, two years is It's nothing. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, so it feels shorter percentage yeah. because it's a percentage thing it's really weird being 30 now like being in my 30s like it's just really I don't know it's just really weird I haven't put my arms around all the thoughts I have but I think about it at least once a day just how my perspective I feel like my perspective is changing day by day honestly and yeah. it's just like a really interesting strange thing I don't know I don't know how to describe that yet so I'm not gonna talk about it Anyway, um. <laughs> you haven't described, you don't know how to quite completely describe the passage of time. I and... don't, I don't, there's something, well, there's some, something happening here that I want to describe, but I don't really know how to. So I'm going <laughs> to wait until I know how to describe it. Um, what I can describe for you guys is our voicemail number. It's 470-465-0475. Um, you are free to leave your comments, questions, concerns. I always need more voicemails because I love reading bad voicemail transcriptions to you guys. Um, so call and, you know, use an accent or whatever. You don't even have to. Google does not know how to transcribe anything. <laughs> um, you can hit us up at patreon.com slash sheologians. That is where we do the book club. Um, that is where as often as I can, it doesn't happen that often, but sometimes I get to post episodes early um and we are a listener supported show so you can hit us up at patreon.com slash sheologians and join the book club we have really good discussions there tactics is going really great i'm really enjoying it um i guess i could keep telling you guys every week just how encouraged i am by the people in our book club um, or you could just 
come along and or also you can just be go encouraged. find out. Um, but seriously, just the people in the book club are so encouraging, so smart. They keep me on my toes. And Tactics by Gregory Kokel is really keeping me on my toes, too. I thought this would be like kind of a nice break after doing Love Thy Body, which is difficult Tough, material. Yeah. That's not happening, but <laughs> um, yeah, so you can join us there. What else do I need to tell you guys? I don't know. We're about to share with you. Do you want to tell them about our guest today? I feel like this is your thing and I don't want to take it from you. Sure. Okay. I really enjoy our guest today. He's really great. Um, his name is... He's a... Dr. Gordon Wilson. Yes. I was like, I know that he's, I know that, but for some reason, Dr. Gordon, I don't, people who aren't doctors usually are like, don't, don't don't call call me me that. that. (laughs) So then I freaked myself out at the last minute. I do that. I do that actually fairly commonly. I do it all the time. With names. I'll be like, uh, and then I say the right thing and everyone's like, okay, what what was was all that that about? Why did you do that? (laughs) Please don't do that. Anyway. Um, but well, obviously, he somewhat recently wrote a book. Yes. Um, that you should get. Yes. Is there a secondary title to it, or is it just a new shade of green? It has like one of those. What? Are, let me go. Let me pull it up for you real quick. It's a biblical. A biblical. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's both of us. Together, we make one competent <laughs> one person. person that can speak. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's a different shade of green, a biblical approach to environmentalism and the dominion mandate. Yes. So, um, he came out with that. Yes. And, uh, it is basically, well, the title very accurately describes it, Mm -hmm. but so in the earth series, spirit <laughs> we are having dr gordon wilson not on. to be confused with an earth spirit <laughs> right <laughs> that's right we're not into that here sorry mm-hmm. if that's what you were looking for <laughs> um but we thought it would only be appropriate to have him on since he wrote a book on environmentalism actually looking to tackle the same issues that uh that we're looking to tackle with this series now interestingly enough i mean this him he was like a, just a given as a guest i messaged 1, him before georgia percent. was born yeah and was like you have to be on because he had just yeah. come out with this book <laughs> and i was like we've been talking about doing this yeah and here you are the right it was guest. like we were just yeah. we were just delivered yeah the perfect guest and i will say you know, I'll let him talk about his book if he wants. But as somebody who is generally uninformed about environmental issues and just anything that's outside, um, I have really enjoyed the book. It's been super accessible, super encouraging. Yes. And has framed the conversation in a different way. So I don't want to give him, I want to let his interview speak for himself. But I, I do want to say, I really, really want to say that. The book has been very helpful yes to someone like me you know which is difficult to do you really have to have a grasp of the subject and a love for the subject and i think a really biblical view to make people who don't really care about the subject care about the subject i do think um <laughs> uh doug and gordon obviously they learned from someone very competent because they're both very good at that <laughs> 
Um, yes. But yeah, so like I said, it's kind of a um, obvious as to why he's on. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. I think listen to our interview. I mean, just keep listening right now. <laughs> We're pre-recording this. Can you tell? Can you tell? Um, <laughs> Welcome to the back end. Um, but also uh, check out A Different Shade of Green. Yes. And he might talk about this a little bit, but he also might not. But The Riot in the Dance Water mm-hmm, is about to out. come out. I'm going to ask him about it for sure. Okay, cool. So, so we'll get some more information for that. So enjoy the interview. Too. All right. So we have with us today the man, the myth, the legend to many of you. You guys were so excited <laughs> um, when we started talking about the Earth series. So many of you wrote to us and said, please have Dr. Gordon Wilson on. So guess what? We have Dr. Gordon Wilson on. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Summer. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, I was telling our listeners earlier that um, your book that came out towards the end of last year actually is kind of my first. Honestly, I've never really read much about these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just really accessible and really encouraging to me, someone who I think I had swung between, you know, you describe a couple different types of Christians when it comes to right, right. these kinds sort of issues. Of, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of wild stereotypes, but yes, um, <laughs> usually people fall somewhere in the spectrum. Yes, and I had been in varying states of that spectrum before, and so um, when I read it and couldn't say amen, I had to say ouch. And so anyway, <laughs> as we start the interview, I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about your book and why you wrote it. Well, uh, I assume it's the different shade of green. Yes. Uh, yeah. That yeah. one. <laughs> I wrote the, a biology textbook and yeah, I didn't talk about the different stereotypes. <laughs> um, so the reason I wrote it, uh, as a biologist, there's two major areas where I'm really interested and that's the creation evolution controversy. And the other is, um, uh, stewardship issues, dominion issues, because I was seeing a lot of, uh, Christians sort of positioning themselves, uh, in either a, an antagonistic, um, uh, posture towards all of the crazy, leftist, liberal, um, environmental um, activist types. I call them eco-zealots or eco-tyrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a lot of sort of, um, and I don't use this derogatorily, but redneck reactions against that uh, among political conservatives. Mm-hmm. And it's understandable because of its um, just very liberal leanings. But... Uh, then you had your other uh, Christians who like nature and are more um, kind of on the hipster end of the spectrum, and they are capitulating uh, to the green agenda mm-hmm. and taking on board all sorts of um, wrong-headed notions about um, creation care. They think, I can just take um, the secular... Um, policies on the environment and then just um, sprinkle Jesus on it and I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. So there's those two extremes. And then there's the apathy in the middle, or uh, as I mentioned, the pre-mill Pete who just um, like, it's all going to burn, man. (laughs) Right. Um, So 
um, we don't have to worry about any of that. Leave it to the secularists to, to, to mess around with whether to keep the ship afloat or whether to, uh, um, you know, uh, so Christians were not thinking through it biblically. And so that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to have a nice biblical theology on, um, the environment, um, Right. in an accessible way because there's there's quite a few books out there i really haven't read much the the one i did read was sort of a classic by francis schaefer called pollution and the death of man yeah mm -hmm. and he had a lot of good things to say and so i um you know i'm sort of on that end of um the spectrum as well basically i came uh, a lot of the things in my book are building on some of his ideas that he's laid out in his book. Right. Um, but I'm, you know, it's obviously many years later, that was 1970. So it's uh, much more relevant to the current uh, times. And, um, and then I'm also trying to push things into the corners as right. my brother likes to say, and um, uh, make some application. But I, again, it's not a how-to book. It's more a book of principles. Um, I'm a biology teacher in northern Idaho, and um, there's a lot of people that are experts in lots of other areas in the environmental, um, just the, they have expertise in a lot of things that impact the environment that I don't have. So what I wanted to do was just lay out principles so that people who have uh, different expertises uh, can look at these principles and say, let me think about it biblically and apply some of these principles to their own sphere of influence. Right. So that's what I wanted to do. I wasn't trying to say, this is how you do it in every area. Cause I'm not, I'm not the pro. Sure. On, right. Uh, wetland reclamation or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's why I wrote it. Uh, keep it, keep it simple, keep it accessible, and uh, really pound in the biblical principles on um, dominion. Well, so maybe we can kind of jump to there. Uh, what is the mm -hmm. dominion mandate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the dominion mandate is in Genesis 1, uh, 28, which is... Um, you know, this is a paraphrase. I don't have a Bible with me right now, but um, he based God basically said um, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. Um, right. And if you look at it closely, you see it's sort of um, a global wildlife management um, that would include domestic animals as well as wild. Right. So it's we normally think of dominion as everything in one sense it sort of encapsulates everything but really if you look at that verse it's just really talking about animals now you do have to manage plants because a lot of the plants uh, are the foundation for animals right. um, you, you've got to take care of the plants because they feed the animals and um, so uh, that is uh, the dominion mandate notice there's no um, you know, the popular word these days is stewardship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't really object to it in, in, that much because um, usually it it has good things 
um, the definition of stewardship is taking good care. But I like to use biblical words, and uh, dominion is a little bit, well, quite a bit stronger than stewardship because um, it implies ownership. Right. And, um, and stewardship does is still a wise dominion would be would look a lot like good stewardship. Right. Um, but it's uh, it's taking good care of your own stuff, um, not somebody else's. And stewardship is taking care of somebody else's. So in one sense, it's sort of both because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So in one sense, he's the ultimate owner. But in the dominion mandate, um, if you look at the word dominion, it's like sovereign rule. Right. That's that's stronger than just stewarding talents for your master. Um, it's sovereign rule. And uh, and so it's a big, big responsibility. And it's one of the first commandments. So or commands to Adam and Eve. Right. Right. So it's pretty important. <laughs> yeah, real, real important. Well, and so and we need to get it straight. <laughs> right. Right. It straight. Right. Well, and maybe for people, because I think people have heard they've heard dominion they've mm -hmm. heard stewardship mm -hmm. so maybe uh like with your biologist cap on you mm -hmm. want to explain why it's important that we okay. that why or maybe even just put it this way what like possibly why did god give it to us to take care of does it need to be taken care of yeah. is it a fully regulating yeah. system um, it is a regulating system. It's it's interesting that um, you've got wild lands, which um, really are beautiful. And if you read in Psalm 104, um, the psalmist is um, extolling the works of God, not only in domestic um, in the domestic realm, where you have domestic beasts that are like sheep and cattle and crops for man to cultivate it talks about that but it also talks about the wild animals and so the reason he's putting us in charge is first um uh, we are made in his image no other creature is able to rule the way we can uh he's given us a clever uh big brain and he's made us in his image and he knows that we can um really uh rule but sin has messed that up in a, in a big way. And so we've really made a hash of our dominion responsibilities. But we are to take care of it because at the end of um, the creation week, it says in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And so that's sort of our starting point mm -hmm. uh, for um, dominion. One, it's... Um, he commanded us to, but secondly, it's very good. So he made it and then he put us in charge. And so, uh, and it's very good. So it's definitely something worth taking care of. Um, and if he says it's very good and he's put us in charge, that means it could go off the rails. It could be enhanced. It could thrive. It could flourish, or it could be diminished, exploited, oppressed. And because of sin, we've, um, you know, done a lot of the latter. And um, we need to figure out how do a lot of people take dominion as, well, we can just do, um, we can, God gave it to us, we can do what we want, we can 
exploit it. We can, if it, if things go extinct, oh well, oh well. If things get thrown under the bus, oh well. And I think that is just a really wrong-headed uh, view of dominion. Right. Right. It should be. We should define dominion similar. I talk about this in the book. It's sort of a marriage analogy in Ephesians five is that if we want to know what dominion a lot of people just have this bad vibe on dominion like this mm -hmm. is oppressive yeah. exploitive and you know that's why people have opted for the stewardship mm -hmm. because stewardship sounds nicer and mm -hmm. softer and sweeter and um mm -hmm. and so but if you define dominion the way the bible defines dominion it um you know christ is head of the church well is that dominion well, you betcha. Right. But what kind of dominion is it? Is it exploitive? Is it oppressive? Is it something where he is just wanting to, you know, take away from the body or does he want to beautify it? Now, it says in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife as uh, Christ loved the church. Well, how is that to beautify, to cause her to become um uh, to, with washing of water through the word. So uh, a good husband is going to uh, exercise his dominion role in a way that makes the wife better and flourish. And so I, I'm not saying that the, the parallel is made in scripture, but it does give us an idea of what dominion looks like from a Christian perspective. And so if God puts us in charge in a similar way, uh, to all of wildlife and domestic life, um, it should have uh, similar um, effects. Right. So I know a lot of people, you know, we're talking about this principle of what does faithful dominion look like and what does that mean? And a lot of times when this kind of conversation comes up, people want they really want to get down to those like nitty gritty details of like, yeah. OK, I want to be a faithful Christian interacting with God's creation the way he wants me to. So should I really be buying this many plastic spoons? I see. You know, yeah. people get down to yeah, those. Getting down to the, yeah, the nitty gritty. That's right. Those little details. Um, and they want to know if they're supposed to recycle. And, and some people might think, why didn't he talk about the uh, I do talk about a few particulars, but right. often just, yeah, big principles. And so if somebody wants to know, what do we do about the particulars? Um, right. I'm sorry, I interrupt. No, the, you're right. What, no, what? that's that's absolutely right. I, I guess that's where I was going to is, you know, and we experience that all the time. I think whenever you speak publicly about biblical principles, people rightfully think, okay, well, here's the principle. How do I apply it? But yeah. I want to back up a little bit because you know, obviously we didn't think that you could come on the show today and tell us exactly how many plastic spoons we can use a year and still right. be faithful. That's not the point. But when people ask you those kinds of questions, what is the biblical principle that you would, you would, you know, use as a, a guardrail um, towards right. faithfulness? Well, um, one, one of the starting points I have is I don't try to bind people's conscience and, and guilt trip people. Uh, so if plastic cups or plastic spoons are used at a potluck, I don't go running around, you know, spittle flecked saying, what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what's going what's going on? Um, not at all. Um, I think a lot of those problems are um, 
uh, I hope the plastic problem is solved, but it, it's at the, at the, at the um, ground level where people are going and saying, okay, this is really simple. Um, well, couldn't, couldn't we, you know, you could say, couldn't we boycott it and, and, um, and we could bend over backwards trying to affect change by our, our shopping. And I don't think that is the, the biggest way to affect change. I think what we need to do is, first of all, these problems uh, at a certain point get to be um, large enough that people in the, the, in the particular area of expertise start to get innovative and they um, at a at a level i'm not saying at the government level but just independent research says hey we've developed a um bacteria that can eat plastic mm -hmm. okay there's people working on that now hmm. that are working on eating bioplastics that are biodegradable and you know, it's a no pun intended, but it's a sort of a mixed bag. Um, but we need to keep <laughs> refining these types of innovations so that um, plastic is, um, you know, the, the, the wrong kind of plastic that's just used and disposed. And it winds up being in uh, finding itself in terrestrial ecosystems finding you know finding its way into terrestrial ecosystems or in the ocean this is just really really bad so i hope eventually this kind of stuff will be biodegradable but in the meantime um i think plastics should be um disposed of well so they don't creep uh into um bad places that can affect uh wildlife um, adversely, or um, not only just the, not only health-related problems or, you know, strangulation, you can look at all of the sad sentimental uh, footage of, you know, turtles getting strangled by, right. you know, you can find those types of things. And it's what people are trying to do is pull on your heartstrings saying plastics are evil. It's like, well, no, um, it, proper disposal if you if you're just dumping it in the ocean yeah that's really really stupid and we need to make sure that it's locked away until we can figure out a way to make sure that it biodegrades um and i'm, I'm leaving it up for uh, leaving it to the scientists to figure that out whether you get biodegradable plastics or um a bacteria that eats it up in the landfill um so that it's no longer um plastics. So those are types of things that are outside my area of expertise, but I'm hoping that people that are just um, innovators will fix that rather than guilt trip your, your Joe Blow on the street that says, hey, don't use a plastic spoon. Let's let's um, innovate solutions at, at another level. And those, when they become really successful, will trickle down into the marketplace. The, the second thing is plastics are important. You know, a lot of the sound equipment that I'm, you know, uh, plastics are everywhere. Medical stuff, uh, hypodermic needles. We need plastics. It's just a matter of uh, like Tupperware. We need plastics, but we need uh, to make sure that they're disposed of. And if they um, do 
pose a threat at some point, it would be great if they could break down and still be just as effective at being plastic when we want them to be plastic. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. I hope I'm not, um, you know, it's well, sort of pie in the sky, but I don't, I don't get on people's cases mm -hmm. saying, oh, you should use this and you shouldn't use a plastic whatever. Well, yeah, I think um, the, I guess the, the general principle should be that people observe dominion and that mm -hmm. translates to responsibility mm -hmm. with their use of plastic, just to keep with this yeah. uh, example. But then there are some people that you would think have like even a conviction from God to you know, like you said, like the innovators, like the someone, mm -hmm. someone who yeah. goes, who goes, no, this, this really isn't like, I can't stand this. I have right. to do something about this. Yeah. And that's great. <laughs> and it's more power to them. Um, I just want, um, rather than getting people, getting on people, I would just like every, in every area, whether it's music reformation, we don't go, Hey, your, your, your music at your church is, you need to do it like us that sort of heavy-handed um, pushiness causes people to get in a defensive posture and uh, they don't they wind up chafing and they you're trying to false guilt them it's rather i would rather whatever the reformation whether it's uh plastics or um you know how do we deal with plastics in the future um if somebody comes up with a great idea, it will catch on. We don't need to force feed it on people. It will it will uh, trickle down, and that's sort of you could call it cultural sanctification. Innovations pop up, and if they're worth their salt, they're going to be snapped up by society and adopted as this is great. And I think we should be good examples, but not be pushy and guilt trippy about whatever um you know if you've got a certain conviction about not using plastic well then you do that but don't be pushy on others don't uh insert it into your salvific theology yeah. <laughs> certainly yeah or or you're in sin because um you do uh this with your plastics and it doesn't have to be that it could be in uh, all sorts of environmental issues um we need to lead by example and not by guilt trip. Right. Right. No, I do. I, and I do think that, um, well, that's an issue that kind of even secular environmentalists face. I think there's a lot of, uh, uh almost in some ways it seems a little out of touch mm -hmm. and that's a, like a part of me wanting to have this conversation is like, there are plenty of people on this planet that we as Americans look down on and we go, uh, why are they cutting down the rainforest? But then you have people who are cutting down the rainforests to like feed their families. Right. And so there, like there is, we can't, you can't just look at someone who is, is like a man who's doing what he's supposed to do right. and be like, well, but he's not, doing it how I want to do it. But then I, you know, there <laughs> yeah. is, there is a, like you're saying it, it is a, it's kind of a hard conversation yeah. to have because there, God, this, God made this, 
beautiful, mm-hmm. amazing thing. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is important. Um, right. not just from like a creative, not like God is the ultimate artist. Like he made it all work together and, uh, yeah. it's like, it's really, it's mind blowing and we're just going in yeah. and cutting it You're, down. It, but love, I'm glad you, uh, brought up that example. That's another case of saying, okay, trying to solve it at the wrong level. Right. Um, that's why I end the book with the gospel because, um, a lot of these cultures that are destroying the environment are often subsistence cultures right and you're not gonna you know it's not right to come up to some poor farmer who's um trying to just uh they're living hand to mouth and are trying to put food on the table and um their only job is to be uh you know uh a logger in the rainforest and um the or they're they're going out and they catch some endangered species to put on the table because they're out there they're indigenous um uh, uh farmers out on the edges on the fringes of civilization right. and they're they're um they're they're um harvesting things that are um they're just trying to feed themselves but when you have a culture that's been transformed by the gospel um, these are the cultures that um, actually have um, a lot more leisure to even think about um, the beauty of creation, um, the glories of creation. And they're, they, they have um, someone who's in a subsistence situation doesn't have that uh, luxury. Right. And so what's best is to have a, a culture that's, um, transformed by the gospel, the gospel first reconciles people to God. And then, um, as a trickle down effect, it begins to reconcile people with not just the, you know, the sin has severed their relationship with God, but sin severs relationships between people. Sin severs relationships with, um, the creation. And this is something I, uh, got out of Francis Schaeffer's book is that the gospel begins healing all of those relationships, not just your uh, relationship with God, not just that reconciliation, but all sorts of other dislocations are healed. And as a result, um, we start to um, love the things, love the things that he's made. We we are put, we've been given a, a correct perspective on those things. And we want to start to conserve those things. But again, the gospel, it's not overnight. The gospel um, can can give us sort of a position where we can actually start taking care of the environment. It's these first world countries um, that are actually uh, thinking about uh, solving these problems. Um, whereas other cultures um, it's all about either subsistence or making a lot of money. And they're sort of repeating some of the things that we did during the, the early days, the pioneer days when we were, you know, doing wanton slaughter of buffalo, right. um, pigeons and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So um, the gospel really solves a lot of problems. It gets at the root of the problem. And 
that may seem pie in the sky, but it's not. It's there's really direct um, environmental impact. But we also have to show Christians that our 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 um, the gospel is not just fire insurance. It's uh, it's a culture transformation, cultural transformation, and lots of areas should be redeemed, not just um, how you. Um, how you relate to other people, but how you relate to the um, surrounding creation. It's so interesting that you brought up, you know, principles of how the gospel applies to this, because as we were talking about it, I was thinking about how um, it does seem like as humans, right? We know that we need to be justified. We know Mm -hmm. that we are lacking righteousness. And it's almost like there's almost seems to be like a works righteousness built into the environmentalist position there's a Mm -hmm. lot of you know virtue of you know i don't use plastic bags and i recycle and it's almost like trying to earn your way into this uh this position that and you know even you know looking down on on the logger in the amazon rainforest you know as a pretense for well i just want justice for the forest or you know so those principles are definitely at yeah. play, which makes me wonder, you know, would you talk just a little bit about what is the difference between, um, you know, be environmentalism and conservation? Well, environmentalism can be, it, well, it's a very broad term, but um, often it, they, it's a sort of a gut. They're not doing it out of a, um, a principled desire to obey God. They're they just they like nature. They've sort of idolized nature, and now they are on a they've got a cause, and they're motivated to pursue that cause and impose that cause. And usually, uh, an environmentalist realizes, <clears throat> excuse me, that they can't necessarily change people's hearts. So the best uh, way they can uh, operate is by top-down command and control, which is either guilt-tripping individuals or uh, trying to affect uh, legislation. And hence, you've got all these crazy environmental laws that are imposed on the public at large. And that's a hard thing to do, especially if the—sorry, I got a frog in my throat— Oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, that's hard to do when the public doesn't hold your values. And so you have to now, you know, have an environmental law. And then people, uh, then you have to, if people, if people don't want to obey the law, you have to enforce it. Well, enforcing it costs money. And so it's all about power and money. And that's sort of how a a good chunk of the environmental movement operates, impose these regs because they don't understand it's it's really a change of heart. Now, there's some people like your BBC and that they they they're more on the not so much on the legislation end, but, you know, the nature documentaries, they'll they'll pull your heartstrings and try to get you to feel bad for. Uh, these animals that are, you know, they're getting crowded out of existence, you know, because of habitat destruction and you just feel bad. But the people that watch those shows are already sort of sympathetic to the beasts anyway. 
it's the people that what the people that don't even watch the shows that's the people that they're trying to change and they can't change them because they're not watching the shows and so the only way they can change them is through environmental top-down command and control and the the difference between that and concert i think sort of a substance nothing is hard and fast differences but a conservationist is thinking in terms of this is what i want to do and um they're going to do it and through a grassroots change mm-hmm. now whether it's, if it's christian conservation that means it should start with the gospel it should try to recon through the gospel reconcile people to god and then as a a result, these dislocations in other areas, um, man against man, um, man against nature, nature against nature, those types of uh, healings need to be um, restored. But it's uh, it's more of a grassroots. It's a heart change. It's not this, um, I'm not a political type person. And um, I'm sort of sometimes embarrassed myself how, how little in how not in touch I can be with what's going on in the uh, political realm. I would rather have these changes be uh, caused by um, uh, the transforming power of the gospel at the individual level, and then having people start to, this is what I do at my uh, school. I teach biology and I teach people about God's wonderful creation. I'm not trying to start an activism group says we're going to adopt this highway and we're going to change this law in the county and we're going to you know i'm not about that i just want my students to just um they're christians already and i want them to now see the glories of creation and as a result they're going to if i'm doing my job right they're going to go out um get married have families and they're going to uh inculcate some of the love of creation, <clears throat> some of the love of creation that I've tried to infect them with uh, in my classes, and they're going to put uh, put that same love and appreciation on their kids. And through that sort of enculturation, that's the way I want it to happen so that um, these types of conservation, whatever the, whether it's endangered species, bringing things back from the brink of extinction or um, cleaning up the watershed um, through innovation. Um, All of these things will be more implemented by uh, a culture that's being transformed, hopefully by the gospel, rather than this uh, uh, top-down coercion by the government. Does that, I hope that sort of... It was the most... Presbyterian explanation of how to get people <laughs> to love the environment yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, but I... it's sort of not overnight. It's not like right. here, you know, um, it's it's just it's yeast and loaf. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the mustard seed. It's it's a little bit at a time of just uh, if every parent um, had kids and they took them out and showed and read them animal books and plant books and stuff like that that would have a and just excited about nature that would have so much more of an impact than some stupid environmental law that's right amen to that agreed 
well so you have a movie coming out yeah yeah we did want you to we didn't really plan this interview to be about right your movie but please do but i am so excited um <laughs> yeah that's sort of yeah i've been waiting campaign. yes yes i have been waiting um because i joy and i both love the ocean intensely and so i oh, am very very i very very I can't tell you. Very is not the right word. I'm very excited, though. Um, right, right. So tell us about it. Um, you know, give us your, you know, two minute pitch on why on earth as a Christian you're bothering to, you know, break into a, you know, the nature documentary industry genre, is yeah. it's, it's owned. It is. It's a big genre and it is owned by the secularists. So yeah. so why are you messing about with this? Oh, man, good question. It's uh, really important because, well, one, just like I was saying, I want Christians to start to see the glories of creation. They see the diversity and the complexity and um, the beauty of creation. Now, we can see that on a BBC documentary. And I've, I've uh, all my life, I've been watching, most of my life, been watching David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think these guys are amazing with their <clears throat> cinematography and but the narration is as you know um all of this amazing stuff all of these amazing animals and the ocean and on land in the tropics and in the polar regions are the result of time chance matter and energy right um, right over millions of years and it's uh through mutation natural selection there's no purpose there's no designer there's nothing and so we're sort of used to that we hear it all the time we're sort of immune to the offense but it's um and we do sort of with kids we watch it and go isn't this great and god made all and we do this darwin detox afterwards <laughs> right with with the um with our kids you know no it's not millions of years and no it didn't evolve from um a single single cell over millions of years it um it was created by your loving father if you think about it these types this genre that needs to be taken over for um uh everything um, uh, needs to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ and including this genre and these secular documentaries Nat Geo as much as they're showing and showcasing all beauty and complexity they are and I'll put it pretty bluntly it's blasphemy right Mm -hmm. because when you're talking about some of the best engineering the best artwork that you could ever imagine. And you're saying this is the result of blind chance. This is the the highest form of an insult. The highest form of an insult to our God. Right. And so I think even though I I they they're doing it since maybe sincere, I'm not saying that they but they're blind. And even if they're inadvertently blaspheming, they're not necessarily shaking their fist at God because they don't think God's there. But at the same time, it is blasphemy. If you look up the definition, I think it applies. Um, And we as Christians, even if we don't have the same budget, um, we need to, um, that's why Nate 
um, when was at, when he was asked uh, four years ago to do a um, nature documentary, uh, he said, yeah, and then came over to my house and said, would you narrate? And I said, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of the short story. Um, and, and the reason is, is we need to uh, celebrate creation where it's not an apologetic um, film. Apologetics is sort of seeking to prove the existence of God. And we are not trying to do that. We are assuming it. Right. We, we are assuming that they're just like the BBC people and that they are assuming evolution. They're not trying to necessarily prove it. They're just saying this is the way it is. And we're coming back and saying, no, this is the way it is. This is the way uh, this is the this is God's artwork. This is God's engineering. Well, and I think that kind of goes along with a larger theme of just the whole conversation we just had, which is that like if you ever if you are a Christian and you have a conviction to reclaim the uh -huh. nature documentary genre or uh -huh. <laughs> if you have a problem with plastics or desertification or right. whatever the issue that you have, it's not um it's if you have a conviction to take better dominion over to be better with your dominion over the environment. Don't just be like, Oh, how am I supposed to get the microplastics all out of the ocean by myself? Right. Like yeah, that's not, that's, yeah, that's exactly. not how it's going to work. And, or if you were worried about desertification, you go, Oh, I better um, follow the climate change uh, people. Right. And you're saying, wait a minute, um, read Hosea four, one through three. Um, you know, when, if you look at the Old Testament, all through it, how does God punish the nation of Israel and other nations to boot? Um, there are four major um, areas that God uses to punish nations. Um, the sword, famine, pestilence, and um, wild beasts. And out of the four, there's some others. Uh, occasionally, there's a new one. But Ezekiel mentions those four specifically. He says, these are the four disastrous acts of God that he uses to judge <laughs> nations. And wow. it says sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. Three out of the four are environmental disasters. Right. And I think we need to think in terms of the best way to solve these global issues, if there is a global issue, is to repent because in that passage the problem was there is no fear of god there is bloodshed follows bloodshed there's lying murder adultery it just lists a whole bunch of horrible sins that hosea is blasting the israelites for and it says because of this the land mourns the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the field are dying and I think, wait, this is totally opposite of what the uh, seculars are saying. It says the sin is the problem here in the Bible. And in the secular world, guess what? It's the carbon footprint. That's the problem. Um, it's how you're dealing with your garbage. Um, God will bless. God will bless the, the global biosphere. If we as a as a nation repent of our abortion carnage and our um, 
you know, the LGBT, I, I can never get that full acronym. <laughs> no one can, don't worry. No They're adding can. letters every day. Letters. Yeah. Um, Got to cover the whole realm of um, sin. Virgin. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, those those are the problems. Mm. And those those the gospel addresses those problems and God can bless the environment, even if we're not trying to actively worry about microplastics or desertification or whatever. God will bless if we repent as a nation. And we can do our little thing here and there, but really love God, love your neighbor, and love, enjoy his creation. And I think God will will bless um, the, the ecosystems of the world. Amen. Perfect. That was so encouraging. I that was very very encouraging. Thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. I'm yeah. I hope we haven't gone too long. No, no, oh, no, no. We haven't. Um, but let people know before we let you go. Um, where can they catch? How can they catch the movie? And, oh yeah. And where they this can buy your important. book? Yes. Okay. Well, you can get different shade of green at canonpress. dot uh, com. And or Amazon, you can find it on Amazon. Um, even Answers in Genesis is carrying the book. Great. Um, and so, um, and then Riot in the Dance. Um, it's uh, it's can be viewed worldwide, but you have to the person wherever it wants to wherever you want it to go. You sort of need to initiate. There's two packages. Go to riotinthedance.com riotinthedance.com and there's two ways to uh, have it come to you. One is a sort of a group um, fundraiser type thing where you get a, a venue, whether it's a church uh, auditorium or even a theater um, and then uh, you license uh, the uh, Riot in the Dance for $195 and that's really a good deal. Uh, because you can actually charge, let's say you fill a theater and, um, you know, it's a say a big church and um, you even charge a, a, a small fee for watching the movie on the big screen, way less than what you would do at, at the normal theater. Right, yeah. And you would still recoup all the costs and you can actually make money, um, whether it's for your, you know, church or you know, um, a private, uh, somebody who wants to just, they've got the, uh, the place for it mm-hmm. and they can bring it, um, for a group showing. Right. And, and the, or they can just do it nonprofit where they, they, um, they don't charge admission. People just come and they just, um, um, but the, it's one ninety five for that, um, group, um, uh, showing. Right. And you get a Blu-ray DVD and you can show it uh, for um, can show it uh, any number of times you as many times as you want between March um, 6th. That's when it comes out uh, worldwide, March 6th to May 5th. And you can um, it's licensed for that long. And it's just that one fee. Excellent. So. Um, that's a that's a good deal. And then you can also do the family, um, just the family package, which yeah. is also there. 
I would really recommend the group because it's so much fun to just get a bunch of Christians together and uh, watch the show mm -hmm. on the big screen. You just have to be able to find a, a good place to do that. Right, right. Well, awesome. That is great. And I know so, we'll be catching yeah, family it family sure. and the and the group. And you can find both of those. And you can also see it on those two things, you've got these um, bonus materials that come with it if you order um, before February 14th. Yeah, I was just looking at the website, actually. There's a lot of bonus materials that you get. That's yeah, I don't sweet. have it in front of me, so you can save yeah. all the bonus for the group, but... Yeah, you guys go to riotinthedance.com. That's where you can see all the details for that. I know it's going to be awesome. Yeah. The The first one, Riot in the Dance Earth, was incredible, and we all enjoyed it. My little kids enjoyed it, and it was a good, good. time. So Good. And I think um, I personally like um, – I like both a lot, but mm -hmm. um, I've seen the screener for the second, and um, I think it's um, better. Yeah. I mean, no, I'll leave, let people decide. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's just better. So we're I think we're getting better at this. And um, um, yeah, as Neil Diamond said in Brother Loves Travel and Salvation Show, that old song, uh -huh. pack up the babies and grab the old ladies. Everyone goes. Um, <laughs> that was such a Wilson moment. <laughs> it was like the cherry on top of the interview. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Dr. Gordon, thank you so much for spending time with us today and helping us think through those issues. And everybody go out and get ready to watch Riot in the Dance. Yeah. March 6th. March 6th. All right. We All will, right. We will talk you. to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. What a wonderful interview. <laughs> wow. That was awesome, <laughs> you guys. Obligatory statement post-interview. <laughs> no, that was super cool. I hope... Um, I know the stuff that he talked about is stuff that people specifically have been messaging us about. Right. Um, well, and if you're looking for resources, I would say his book is obviously a very good place to go first. Yes. And check out the Riot in the Dance Water. Joy, are you ready for some of my favorite bad voicemail transcriptions? Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. This is one I'm going to make it through. Okay. Are you ready? I can say this. Okay. <laughs> Here it goes. <laughs> I'm here with my attorney. You can probably hear him in the background. <laughs> Legit, when I read that, I was like, oh no, who is calling me? All right. Well, and you know, attorneys have a very distinct sound to them. You can probably hear him in the background. He's very angry. I keep him chained. You just hear like <laughs> lawsuits and the scales of justice. Pursuant to code 238. Statute of limitations. <laughs> okay, this one I thought you could really resonate with. And this is not what they said at all. Okay. <laughs> Hello. My baby makes spooky sounds. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> All right. And then my personal favorite for this week that I'm going to have a really hard time getting through. Here we go. <clears throat> I got this. Okay. I have an idea for a drug test that is really practical. And you can do it at home with your kids. <laughs> with your kids. 
you can do it. It's really practical. I mean, that's what drug tests have been missing this whole time. <laughs> Practicality. I know. I have the drug test, but can I do it with my kids? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I really need you guys. <laughs> Those are great. I really need you guys to keep calling leave voicemails 470-465-0475. I really need you to hit, hit us up at patreon.com. The thing is, people are going to start calling in, like trying to say weird stuff, but it's going to translate yeah, as weirder translate. stuff. Yeah. No, just be or it'll normal. translate to normal. How you guys already talk is doing this, right? So, yeah. So just say what you're already saying. Just say whatever you're gonna say. All right, guys. That oh, I should tell you guys that um, we have a pretty cool guest coming up. We will be finishing up their series over the next couple of weeks, so we are not done with this conversation yet. So if you have more questions that you would like us to address, then leave us a voicemail or a message or whatever. Anyway. We promise we'll listen to it and not just look at the weird. I do listen to your voicemails. <laughs> I do. I promise. All right, guys. <laughs> See, See you next week. Time.